So we've seen these five things at work. We started with hearing the word. Then we looked at gathering in worship. We looked at um, trusting God with our money and time. And then last week, we looked at sharing in prayer. And so these rhythms are the life signs of what a healthy faith looks like. And they've been the visible signs throughout the history of the church since its foundation. And um, these are kind of like the life-giving things that Jesus taught his disciples. And he said that we must teach these to our children and our grandchildren. And that basically is what discipleship's all about. Um, notice how in the graphic we've put them together so that they overlap. So none of these are distinct. You can't do one without doing the other. It's very hard to read the word and not to pray. It's very hard to pray and not pray the word. It's very hard to trust God with our money and time and not end up somewhere doing his mission. So all of these things overlap. And um, Sue, I think you said um, either to me or to Helen last week, I think maybe to Helen, you said that in this series it's been good because there hasn't been this kind of condemnation or judgmentalism and that's not what we're about. And so we've got this wonderful uh, rendition here of Matthew 11, um, 28 to 30 from Eugene Peterson in the message. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that seems almost un unbelievable, doesn't it? I think when we think of these things, often we've grown up um, with a sense of uh, that religious needing to do these things and not feeling enough. But the invitation is to be yoked with Jesus. This is his life. This is the life that he wants to share and give us. So let's dig in a little deeper. Now, um, if we click one more time, but the slide won't change. Um, what we saw at the very beginning is that worship is what we are created for. Now, do you remember this quote? Worship is when we give God his breath back. Remember that one? There's a few nods there. Um, and this isn't just in song like we've just been doing as we've been singing, um, but it's through every part of our week and every breath that we take in our coming and going. Our worship is about radical obedience in every area of life and every aspect of living. So... If we go to the next slide, thanks, Katrina. We um, did this breathing exercise um, where we were breathing in and inviting the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the Ruach, to fill us. And then we, we breathed out and uh, we were expelling things like fear and anxiety and the things that God wants to take away from us. And um, as a 20-year-old, brand-new Christian, um, I experienced the Father's love and undeserved grace in, a, in an incredible way. Um, for me, it was just an encounter with the living God. And so as I'm reading the Bible, I'm experiencing that very um, presence and relationship. 
And for me, it feels like I've been made brand new. I've gone from being black to white. I've gone from being troubled in my mind to just having a peace that just you can't get any understanding where it's come from. And in that place of worship, in that encounter, I feel like I'm kind of sitting on the Father's lap. And of course, I've come home. There's no place that I'd rather be than in that place of being loved and accepted. I think I've shared this before, though, that I heard the Father's voice in this place. And I, I just, I don't want to ever leave your love. I don't want to ever go from this place, Lord. And then he whispered in my ear, but I love them too. Are you prepared to go to tell them about my love, the love that you've now found? And that's hard, isn't it? When you've got the very thing. (laughs) What more could you want than being with God? But there is this dynamic where he sends us out and he tells us to go. Now, God's uh, hesed covenant faithfulness is like the waves that just roll upon our shore. Just as they roll in and as they roll out, he draws us in and he sends us out. He draws us in and he sends us out. And this is the rhythm that we see in terms of what it means to worship him. Because if we just gather and we just have a great time and we just feel good in his presence, but we don't tell anybody about it, we're actually failing in a part of our worship. Because worship is all of life. And so we've got to share and bring others in. Because the reality is, I had everything at 20. I've lived 30 years beyond that. But really, I've got nothing more than I had then. You ever thought about that? The grace of God is complete. Doesn't matter what you know, doesn't matter what you have. If you've got God, you've got it all. And that's the offer of the good news that we have to offer. And we can complicate it at times, but he gives us himself. And that is everything that we need for all of eternity. So next slide, a couple of quotes. So when we talk about mission and following the call to mission, we've got John Piper here saying, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And then we've got that wonderful turn of phrase that uh, John Wimber was so easy uh, coming up with these things. The meat is on the street. And so if we just keep it all to ourselves and we're looking for another bless me experience, we miss the reality of what God's got for us. And that's what we're going to dig into today. Next slide, thank you. I want us to consider the rhythm of our beating heart. And we're not aware of it like our breathing. Unless we tune into it, we probably don't even notice it's happening. (laughs) But you can put your hand on your chest and you can feel that, that life force, that, that energy. And this is a very complicated diagram. Don't worry, there's no exams, there's no tests. You don't have to name the parts of the heart like my, um, like my boy is having to do at the moment as he's going through university. But you just see what happens in the heart, that it draws in the blood and then it pushes it out. It draws it in and it pushes it out and it draws it in and it pushes it out. And if it didn't do that, our toes would fall off 
um, because it's got to get the blood all around the body. And this is the body of Christ. There's a sense of us being drawn in to the presence of God and then sent out, drawn in and sent out. So that's our prayer this evening. Draw us in and send us out. Next slide, thank you. What was the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, to be seated on the throne? Next slide, thank you. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We read that in Matthew 28. Um, the whole passage runs from uh, 18 to 20, but I've just quoted parts of 19 and 20 there. And we call that the Great Commission. Um, you won't find that phrase in the Bible, but everybody talks about the Great Commission. It's very, very straightforward. We all know what we've been called to do. And it isn't a matter of going make disciples just across your street. It's definitely that. But actually, it's a call to go to nations, to people who are not like us. They might not speak the same way as us. They might not have the same customs as us. And I was walking in with these two tonight. And uh, both of you grew up in the context of a mission field in PNG, didn't you? Mum and dad um, reaching out and you guys kind of going back and forth between Australia and PNG. Um, and that's part of this expression of being sent out. So we get drawn in, but we get sent out. And this is quite literally where the rubber meets the road because we're called to go, and we have been from the beginning. So you've got these dynamics that Jesus says, come to me, <laughs> and then he says, go. Come to me, go. So um, one simple question can cause our heart rate to increase. And this is the question. Ask yourself, how many disciples, next slide please, have I made? And I don't want anybody to come under any condemnation. What we're looking for is the conviction of the Spirit, because when the Spirit answers that question, He answers it with purpose and direction. And remember, what we're trying here is not to strive, but just to fall into these unforced rhythms of grace, but we've got to make ourselves available to see what Jesus is doing and remember his invitation. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So that raises the question, whose mission is it? So if we go on to the next slide, thank you. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you in John 20, 21. So we see in there, God is at work, and somehow we're drawn into that. God's mission is to be glorified by making himself known. And as we do this new uh, series over the next, I think it's um, a 10-part series. We'll have a little break for the holidays. It's about who God is and correcting any lies that we have about him and putting in place the truth and living out of that truth. And the whole journey for us as disciples is to know God better and to share what we know about him. Now, I'm very grateful. Uh, next slide, thanks, Katrina. For this um, 
uh, theology of mission, and I'm going to go quickly through it. I don't expect you to kind of hold it all in your head. I've got a kind of A4 side sheet where if that's useful for you, if you've ever got to teach somebody on mission, it's it's great. Ed Stetzer um, taught a session at a church planning conference in Brisbane earlier this year that I got along to. And what you see here is, again, this partnership that we're invited to come to Jesus, to watch him and do it, what, what he's doing and join in with it. So following the rebellion of humanity, God confronts sin, death, and brokenness. He sends his son, Jesus, to inaugurate the kingdom and to inaugurate his kingdom rule and reign. So inaugurate just simply means to lay the cornerstone, to establish something, to break the earth as you start out on a new building project. So the kingdom came in that moment. And Jesus, we see him doing these things, and they're the same things we're going to see that he asks us to do. We see him saving the lost. He defeats sin, death, and the powers of darkness. And he redeems a people through forgiveness of sin. Completely unmerited grace and favor. Mercy shown to us. He did it all. And that's the great news that we've got to share when we talk about saving the lost. But he also served the broken. And so then what we see in that John 20, 21 scripture is the king sends his church. At that very moment, he's breathed on his disciples. Uh, we did the appearances of the resurrection, uh, resurrected Jesus. And he breathes on them and he gives them that command. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So the king sends his church to partner in his kingdom rule and reign. And that's everything that we've been learning about. It's nothing more and nothing less. And we're told to do the same things. So saving the lost is about a gospel proclamation. It's no use just feeding people or even seeing dramatic signs and wonders and healing them. Because if they end up in hell, what will the end be? There was a guy at the uh, Vineyard Leadership Conference in the UK who just said, you're just making the road to hell a little easier for somebody. And that's convicting, isn't it? Because our end isn't to heal or to show signs and wonders. It's to share the gospel of Jesus' unmerited favor. So that gospel proclamation, that telling part, needs to go alongside the demonstration part. So we serve the broken through feeding the poor, clothing the naked, doing the very things that Jesus did. We're invited to do those same things, including healing the sick and raising the dead. But the goal is always to the end of what I got at 20 years old. Jonathan, you need Jesus. We have to proclaim the gospel. That's essential to our mission. So if we go on to the next slide, we see this continuation of God's mission that we're invited into. As Jesus ascends, he's given that command, the Great Commission, and then he says, I'll send you another helper. The Holy Spirit descends at Pentecost. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He is empowering the church. And we see how he gathers the church, but also how he scatters the church. The empowered church then is to sent into the whole world. The goal is that every nation, tribe, and tongue will stand before that throne. We're invited to join Jesus' mission. You might have seen the Latin phrase, missio dei, the mission of God. In fact, he's already doing it. 
And he's doing it outside the church. And we get to partner with him as we see what he's doing. We are, in fact, an instrument of the kingdom. If we think we're it, we skew things. The kingdom is at work. We get to be a preview community and an instrument of God's hand at work. Each of us are ambassadors. Now, we don't use that term unless you're hanging around in diplomatic circles, but we're representatives of our king. You bear the name of your king in the same way as you bear the name of your mum and dad, your family. He's our father, and so we reflect on him. Everything we do reflects who he is. We've been given, we sang about it tonight, the keys of the kingdom. They represent authority. In fact, the Great Commission, it starts, all authority has been given unto me, therefore go. So he gives us keys, he gives us authority. And we need to learn what those keys are for and which doors they unlock. Unlocking doors of forgiveness, healing, life. That's the kingdom authority that we've been given. And we also have a promise that no enemy gates will stand against us. The gates will not prevail. And that represents power. Power is slightly different to authority. So you can know the authority that you have, but not learn to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's our journey as a church, to learn how to cooperate with his power. I was um, in Queen's Park in Ipswich yesterday, having a cup of tea with Helen, and we sat under a tree and chatted and prayed a bit and brought back memories for me when I was a brand new Christian at 20 years old. And I read the book of Acts sitting under a tree for two sunny days, which is always a miracle in the UK. Um, but it was amazing. First time reading, cover to cover, the book of Acts. It can seem like a fantasy world. But these were real people. Twelve young boys, Jesus called to himself and said, I'm going to show you how to do some stuff. And I want you to show everybody else how to do this stuff. That's really what he said. And he sent them out to change the world. And 2,000 years later, we're in Good News Lutheran Church in the middle of their school because of what Jesus did and those 12. Now, we're more than 12. We're not a great number. But if we begin to see with eyes of faith, we understand. If God is for us, who, who can be against us? Our king is undefeated, and we're seated with him in heavenly places. So this is the invitation for us on mission. We don't go out defeated. We don't go out flagellating ourselves and whipping ourselves and trying to say, you know, woe is me. <laughs> Hopefully we go out with a smile on our face, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. I have a long story I read today. I haven't got time to share it. But essentially, somebody was in a prison camp. And there were lots of Christians, actually, in that prison camp. And most of them grumbled and complained like everybody else. But there was one who, in the midst of all the suffering, held out hope and joy and would serve everybody else and let them go first, even with the little privileges that they had within being... Uh, in a Nazi internment camp. And later, an atheist writes about this one, saying, there may be a God. If this man represents who that God is, 
I might want to trust him. I might want to follow him. So we can see we represent the Father. We bear his name. And we don't do it alone. Jesus says, I will be with you to the end of the age. And the great commission to go and make disciples is there. Hopefully you can lock that one away. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 should be one of the first ones that you can um, really understand and quote to others. And if we talk uh, on this final slide, um, if we move on to the next one, thanks, Katrina. Ultimately, we know where all this ends up. God's mission to be glorified by making himself known. He's glorified. King Jesus returns. He consummates his kingdom rule. Consummate just is the completion. It's the capstone, which goes with the cornerstone. <laughs> the beginning and the end. Finally, the stuff we read in Revelation. And you see lots of quotes from Revelation here. The church is redeemed for God's glory. And we read in Revelation 5, 9, you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. We see the mission is completed for God's glory. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory as, uh, of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. We read that in Habakkuk 2.14. And you can also find that same uh, verse in Isaiah. And we see at the very end of the Bible, Revelation 21.5, all things are made new and restored for God's glory. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So that's just a simple theology of mission from beginning to end. And we can find out exactly where we slot into that. So concluding, God invites us to partner with him in the Trinitarian mission to be glorified by making himself known. He's the one who gets glorified. We bow down in worship and cast our crowns before him. Somehow in his benevolence, he's chosen every one of you. And he cannot do it without a single one of you. Because you, in being there on that day, <laughs> you bring him the glory that is due to his name. And we see this wonderful um, invitation there right in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. See the partnership? The bride represents the church. So the Holy Spirit and the bride, we say, come. And let the one who hears come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the waters of life. Saving the lost and serving the broken. So final slide. So a lot of that stuff, stuff has been fairly heady. It's something you can kind of lay down, teach, break down, take away and build on. But as I was um, listening yesterday to this podcast, I'm going to play you a, a five-minute clip in a moment. Um, I sobbed for 20 minutes as the Holy Spirit came over me because this is his mission. <laughs> We can sum up all the desires that we've got and to want to try and make it happen, but it's actually his mission. And so when he comes, he can do things to you and change you in a way that you just cannot. We can offer him what we've got, but like we sang tonight in that, that lovely song, you know, we don't have much to offer him. But what we give him, just that space to say, Lord, break my heart for the lost. 
his heart's broken. The evidence we see very clearly on the cross. He gave up everything for each of us and he's given up everything for each of those that we're asked to go and make disciples of. Earlier this year at the VCA prayer retreat, we uh, uh, had a theme around Ask the Lord of the Harvest to send people into the harvest field. Prayer is key. At this church planning conference, all four key speakers said prayer, 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 prayer. So we've got to be praying because we're in a spiritual battle for people. But as we, um, as we ran that prayer retreat, I think Sue was there this year, um, the Delaney's shared their vision, and you might have seen this online on Facebook. Um, if you weren't there, they shared a vision of spot fires all around Australia. Big fires, little fires. And they saw this momentum of people gathering around the fires, coming to the light, celebrating and worshiping God. But then they saw them scattering again. And as they'd go out from those fires, they'd bring back new people with them and gather around the fire. And it's just, again, that very simple picture of what we're to be as a network of churches across this land. Gathering together around the light, appreciating the warmth of God's presence and basking in that. Being there together and just experiencing the joy of that journey of being saved. But then we're sent out to go and get more and bring them to the fire that we already enjoy. So, This stuff can seem irrational. You know that song about the reckless love of God? It's crazy, right? Leaving the 99 for the one? The math just doesn't work on that one, does it? When you take care of the 99 and think, oh, we'll just let the one, let that one go. That's not the heart of our Lord. And so somehow this is the challenge with church, isn't it? Because we get so focused on ourselves. We want the experience. We want the wonderful worship. We want the great teaching. We want the kids' work. We want all these things to kind of make our world and life go really well. And they're good things. But actually the challenge is to leave what you have, to give up those friends that you have. So for Helen and I, you know, we, we had a, an amazing church that we had lots of friends in, people that I'd seen saved through my ministry as a student pastor. They've now kind of grown up with kids the same age as us and everything else. But the goal isn't to stay. Now, if God asks you to stay and do and serve in that context as your mission, you do that. But the goal is always to go, even if it's starting in a, a small group where you're there with your best mates. If that small group grows, you're going to have to leave your best mates to go and reach other people and to disciple them. So that's the challenge, isn't it? Because we're like, no, I quite like my 99, thank you very much. It's really hard to go. The only place it makes sense is in, Lord, you've asked me to do it. I can't ask you to do it. But if he does, you can give up the stuff that is so good 
and seems like, yes, I've got everything I need for eternity. Because that's the nature. Unless a seed dies, falls to the ground, it won't produce the fruit and multiply. So we have this uh, thing at the moment, multiply your love, is Kirk and Nicole's theme. Join us at the conferences down in uh, Sydney or Melbourne. We've got Putty Putman coming, and we're looking at uh, naturally supernatural. But really, it'll be great if you get healed. I got healed at one of those conferences. Amazing. Uh, I don't suffer the pain that I used to suffer. I couldn't go out in the evening through debilitating uh, arthritis in my neck. Um, that's wonderful. <laughs> but the heart of it is that we've got what we've got to give it away. So I just invite you on the journey. And um, just to set up this podcast, you might not know who any of these people are. Um, Jay Patak, he's the current national director of the U.S. Vineyard. He, uh, he talks with various people, and this week on Wednesday, he released this one talking with Bob and Penny Fulton. Bob and Penny Fulton were the leaders of the home group that eventually became Vineyard Anaheim. And now they're like mid-80s, and they're still doing that stuff gathering people in their lounge room. And they've had to do it again just recently to replant Vineyard Anaheim um, for what happened recently. So I want you to hear their raw experience as they look back on those days, remembering the, um, the fun that they had in their youth as um, they pursued this heart and priority for mission. Well, as far as the vineyard goes, you know, you see from Scripture, God loves to use family connections, historical connections. Mm. Well, Ken Gullickson starts five vineyards. Who's Ken Gullickson? He's an evangelist. Mm-hmm. He's on the he's on the beach, and uh, well, first of all, he leaves Calvary Chapel and goes to Texas. Yep, brings people to Christ. Starts a little Jesus Chapel. Comes back to California, goes out on the beach, he's painting, leads a bunch of people to Christ. Now he's got like 60, 70 people on the beach. Amazing. And then he starts other, we were actually the sixth vineyard. Yeah. And so, who was Lonnie Frisbee? Lonnie Frisbee was a prophetic evangelist. Yeah. I, we did conferences in Africa, Scandinavia, Europe, different places. I always had people come up to me and say, did you know Lenny Frisbee? I said, yes. Well, I became a Christian in his, uh, uh, as one of his sessions. Yeah. Well, then John Wimber. John Wimber was always in the bashes. So here's Ken Gellickson, Lenny Frisbee, John Wimber. That's our roots. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just everything you want to do. Yeah. It's Oof. just hard. Yeah, you can make me cry. Like you're 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 messing with me, cause uh, yeah, cause that is us. I think that's who we've always been, and and um, and I listen again. What people want to do is dichotomize everything. So are we about discipleship? Or are we about evangelism? Are we about the ministry of the Spirit? Or are we about teaching the Bible? Are we, you know, are we for? world missions or are we just for domestic church planting are we you know whatever but everyone wants to try to do it and it can feel trite to say yes 
to all of those. We're, we're all of those. <laughs> like, yes. Yes, we are for all of those. Yes, yes, like yes, a joyful. And so all those things come together and is in, in what I believe, to, what I know to be the best of the vineyard. Okay, I was going to tell the story, I'm going to tell it now. Okay, here's, here's how it goes. I'm at your house. We're planting yeah. the church. And I'm getting increasingly concerned as I'm walking around the vineyard where I'm just watching people really just want Holy Spirit moments all the time. Mm. And I love them. I love Holy Spirit moments, by the way. Right. But I'm going, there's nobody coming to Christ. Nobody's talking about the lost. And my whole heart breaks for the lost. And most of the way we'd seen people come to Christ was through prophetic encounters and Holy Spirit moments and worship environments. So again, in my mind, they weren't separate, but I was getting pretty discouraged about it. And I remember I was sitting at your table in the, for breakfast and our church is like, I don't know, 50 people were. And you said, well, is there anything you're concerned about in the vineyard? And I remember thinking, I can't bring this up to Bob and Penny Fulton. This this is going to feel bad. You know, like these people are like the royalty of the family that I've, I'm a part of. Like you can't say things. And I'm hemming and hawing. And I think you said, no, like really, like what? And I said, you know, honestly, I... I want to be a part of a thing that leads a generation to Christ. I want to give my life for that. But I can't be a part of a thing that just has conferences that have cool worship and prayer moments if it isn't for the sake of like leading a generation to Christ. And I remember sitting at the table and you and you and I look up and I realize and you're crying. And I've made you cry. And I thought, now I'm making a man cry his own dinner, his own dinner table for breakfast. I've done this all wrong. And you got up and you found some album on the wall and you showed me all the little black and white photos, people around Pirate's Cove. And, and you said, Jay, this is always we've ever been. This is who we are. This is what the vineyard is. What's in your heart is what the vineyard is. And that was a really important moment for me personally. Mm -hmm. Because it helped me to know this is a part of our family story. This isn't Jay trying to make us something else. Like all the ministry and the power of the spirit stuff is also for the mission yeah. to lead people to Christ. It, 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 all the ministry and the power stuff, it brings healing. It brings deliverance. It gives us freedom, heals our families, opens hope restores our lives and on, on behalf of the poor, but it's also for mission, for the sake of seeing people come to know Jesus. Give us your heart for the lost. Lord, we confess we can't do it. But Lord, you can. You have. You are doing it. You did it for each of us. So come, Lord. Come and break our hearts for what breaks yours. If we don't know the love that you have for us, visit, the, visit us upon us right now, we pray. But we thank you, Lord. 
that you feel that way about everybody. Your heart is that none should perish, Lord. So we just pray, Lord. Come and change us. Move us. We ask, Lord, help us to lay things down that are in the way of this. Help us to reorientate our lives so that we can leave the 99 and go after the one. So just invite you, Lord, over this next week in our quiet times to come and share your heart. Might be for a family member or a friend or a complete stranger. But Lord, we want to partner with you in your mission so that we can share what we've got. Ask, Lord, that you release dreams like you released it for, for me. I wouldn't be here without it. A dream of Australia. It wasn't my dream. It was there in my heart. You put it there. So for our kids, Lord, if there's places and tribes or even peoples who are outside their comfort zone, people who are not like them at school, I pray that you send them across the yard to go and share a message of hope to those who are outcasts and marginalized. Let them be the ones that bring them in. So Father, as we close tonight, we just recognize it's all for your glory. We say, Lord, come and glorify yourself amongst us. Come and use us, Lord, to be vessels of worship who lay everything down before you and say, Lord, you're worthy of it all. Amen.